Do you think that's accurate? In a way, that's as much a parody as the rest of them. For instance, they weren't dressed in rest, uh, sorry, um, they, they weren't dressed like that for a start. They didn't look like that. They didn't all have European sort of uh, looking skins. There probably wasn't a table, and they put them around sitting in a straight line. Um, but this is a this is a Renaissance painting, painting, 15th century, um, by uh, as I said, Leonardo da Vinci. So we go to the next slide. Perhaps a little more accurate. Um, we've still got kind of westernised thing. I actually, I, I won't say anything, you know, I won't actually point it out, but I was looking at some of the faces and then, and I was picking out members of our congregation. It was kind of nice, <laughs> you know, they might like to do that as well, I don't know. Anyway, but it was, it was, it was more accurate, sitting around the table, they tended to um, be more on the ground and, you know, from the scriptures you can see, it fits much better with the um, the way in which history tells us as well that they would be more sort of lounging, a bit like the Romans did, you know. Um, and there we go. So, just one other thing, just looking at the, the uh, uh, this is Raphael, but still a, 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 a Renaissance picture of how they thought that Jesus would look. So, I think we need to click again. You think that? Yes? Now, they won't recognize the other one, it's more recent. It's actually a, it was, um, a scientific reconstruction of a Jewish person's skull um, who was alive at the time of Jesus. I'm not saying that's a picture of Jesus. But taking all of the other things that people knew culturally, the, the, you know, the, the long hair, the facial characteristics of the Jewish people around there, um, even the height was, uh, you know, Jesus often portrayed as being about six foot two or something like that, but long, willowy, nothing like that, you know, probably. We don't know. But people make a, um, it, it's, it's grown up over time. And we often see, Jesus in a sort of Victorian style that the Victorians had, or further back, the um, Renaissance style. We have a, a kind of fixed view of how things should be, and they're often very much different to, uh, at least at the time, they're very much different to how we see them now, or how they actually are now, if you see what I mean. I'm trying to make the point that things are not always so fixed. I want to look at time scale briefly as well. So if we, we look at this. Right, so we've got the birth and refugees. So Jesus was born about four or four to six years before he was actually he was born. <laughs> and similarly died a few years before he died, according to whoever worked it out, they kind of got it wrong, but nearly not sort of thing. People don't know exactly, and probably October, possibly, not <coughs> December. Now, the Gospels were written 
there. Okay, so we've got Mark first, then Matthew and Luke, so Acts does Luke, or the writer of Luke, um, wrote Luke and Acts. And then John a little while later. And they're the best estimates the scholars have of when those particular Gospels were written. That's important because the letter of 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about communion, written now, before the Gospel versions. Now, Paul will have known about the Last Supper, okay, but a lot of other people won't have done because those Gospels haven't been written. So Paul is writing pre the, 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 the four Gospels, if you like. So that's the oldest account we have in the Bible of communion. Do you follow what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to read now. All right. So just to summarize, there's a, there's a few things I'd like to, to say about this. Um, we go to the next slide and then we'll work our way down. The first thing about the Lord's Supper, which you'll read into the, I'll, I'll read this out first because I want you to understand it as we read through the context of this. Right, it was a meal for everyone in the church. It was a meal. Do you remember we used to have a fellowship meal? Some of you remember. And we used to break bread and drink wine at that particular meal as well, or, or fruit juices. Yeah, that was the uh, main issue for some people. So it was, it was done in the context of a meal for everyone, okay? Uh, everyone in the church could come to the meal and they would break bread, they would have wine there. As part of the meal, at some point in the meal, very often at the beginning, almost in the same way as we would say grace, but maybe a little more elaborate than that. It was probably held on a Sunday, and they ate every Sunday, they ate together, most of them every Sunday. In some places, they were eating together every day. And when Jesus said, do this as often as you, you, know, you uh, have bread and wine, which would be a stable part of the meal anyway, it's possible that they were doing, doing, uh, participating in communion, in breaking bread, as a um, recognisable thing uh, every day. So some of them every day, some of them every week, probably every week, but maybe less than that sometimes as well. Right, second, next one. It wasn't based on the Passover meal. It was a fellowship meal. Okay. Most of them didn't know about Passover until the Gospels came. Yeah? Now Paul did, and Paul was instructing them, but a lot of people, it started, you know, right after the death of Jesus, people would have a meal together. And it's very obvious from um, various writings, both inside the Bible and outside the Bible, that it was a fellowship meal, but not based on the Passover meal. Okay? That came a little later. Next one. There was no thought set format, but it did include the bread and the wine. So the other thing is to include the bread and the wine. Okay? Next. Right. Subtle difference here in theology. The emphasis was upon the work of Jesus, the victory over sin and death and Satan. Okay? They uh, that was the the, the, the idea was that you associated yourself by faith through um, the, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In some ways, 
the idea is more how we think of them than baptism, where we used to think of ourselves as we go under the water, we die, and we're resurrected again when we lifted up with Jesus. It was that general idea. And the idea of Jesus being a substitute was one that was there, but was not the main emphasis, right? Again, I'm not preaching heresy here. It's, um, it's still part of what we believe, all right? But the emphasis is on that. The, the victory, the association with Jesus as the victor, mm. the overcomer of sin, death, the devil, and by our faithful bindings with him, which is part of the, the bread and the wine, that we were symbolised by that, wasn't actually what caused it, we symbolised that by, by faith and then the symbol, symbolic um, bread and wine, meant that you know, we, were, we were one with that death and resurrection. Okay, got that away, bear that in mind, um, if it helps, not, if it confuses, just leave it. Right, so we're going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, and it's a bit of a chunk, but we'll go through it, alright? If you've got, uh, if you're going to a small group, then this is part of the questions as well, this, this passage for, for further discussion, so you'll get the chance to talk about it. Right, uh, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, but when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. The Lord's Supper, the fellowship meal, okay, was one that everybody <coughs> participated in. And basically what he's saying here is that some of you are going ahead, having a meal, even getting to the point of excess, getting drunk. Nothing to do with the, the Lord's Supper bit, if you like, oh, no, sorry, nothing to do with the um, like a communion part, but you're going to have this meal which is the Lord's Supper, supposed to everybody, and maybe there's bread and wine in that, but you go ahead and do it. And there's other people who aren't eating, they're maybe poor people, they're other people that you're causing the division with, and you have a separate meal and leave these people out. That is the issue, that is the division that is being caused. You see, also, what also happened was there are records of people taking the remains of the meal and taken out to people who were starving in the streets or had no food. There's a record of uh, inviting people into the fellowship meal or to the, the, to, the, to the Lord's Supper who weren't part of the church, but to feed them. So there's also this sense of charitable giving within the same context. Right, so, next verse, next verse, verse 22. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I, see, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. When he's referring to the unworthy manner, he's talking about the fact that there is unreconciled divisions between them. He's not talking about, no, they're throwing the wine and the bread. That goes without saying, okay, we don't need to say we should do this in a respectful way. We should do it in a respectful way. We're remembering the Lord and what he's done for us. He's actually referring there back to the divisions. He's saying it's an unworthy manner because you've got unreconciled divisions between you. And that's a big point. He then goes on to say, so then, uh, sorry, I'll read this, this bit again. Uh, whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever drink, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink <coughs> from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, i.e. passed away, died. We can bring condemnation on ourselves. We can. If we, if we move out from under the protection of the Lord and we continue in sin, we continue perhaps to treat people badly, then we should be open, we should be forgiving, we should be maintaining unity then it will have an effect on us because we are body, soul and spirit, you know? Um, I'm not saying that everybody is sick. It's caused by sin, not at all. I mean, Jesus said that one when the disciples asked him, who, who sinned this man or his parents? Neither. It's for the glory of God, you know? He'll use different circumstances, but we are taking a risk that our hardness of heart will cause physical <coughs> and mental issues to uh, come to the forefront in our lives. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, i.e. if we could see ourselves properly, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are being judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so we will not be finally condemned in the world. So it doesn't mean you go to hell. You know, once we're saved, we're saved. What he's saying is, you need to be careful of the way in which you conduct yourself and make sure that you're free from sin and hardness of heart. Put things right. Put things right with your brother and sister, which is the issue here. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you eat together, it may not result in judgment. You can start to see things in their, con- in, 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 in their context. You see, there are two issues here. The first one is that there is sin in the fact that there is disunity. The scriptures talk about unity in the church as being, if not the most important thing, one of the most important things 
but just because when there's disunity, actually you're finished. You know, as we said before, unity is not conformity, it's not homogenous church, everybody looking the same, doing the same, being the same. It's unity of purpose. We're here to see the extension of the kingdom of God. We're here to serve Jesus, to do his will, but we have to do that together. We have to do that in a way which brings glory to God. And divisions and upsets between one person and another should be dealt with quickly by those people. Whether it's your fault or their fault, whoever's fault or nobody's fault or everybody's fault, doesn't matter. We're told you make your first move, whoever you are. Yeah? So the divisions, and they're not any of them aware of here at the moment. We all have our little things, you know, I'd rather do this than that. And, yeah, um, I don't like this, don't like that, I do like this, do like that, whatever. But, yeah, we're <coughs> we can sort of walk through that. But when we have divisions between us that are there, that are starting to create issues between different people, and perhaps even between different groups of people, we need to deal with it, all right? And quickly, and do the mature Christian thing. Because that's important. And that's what he's addressing here. There is a division. Doesn't matter what the division's over. In this case, it was about them dealing righteously with the poorer people, or the people who couldn't afford it, or maybe the those people that could afford it, but hey, we don't associate with them. They're the wrong side of the tracks or whatever, you know? So they'd have their meal, they'd have a big old sort of do overindulge a bit sometimes, or maybe a lot sometimes. And, they would, and, that, and that was part of their fellowship. Yeah, we're having a great time together. Oh yeah, just ignore them. Or, yeah, well, we'll have to separate. Let's not tell them. Let's exclude them. We need to include everybody. All the sinners, because we're all sinners. All the poor people, because we're all poor and God's eyes. And then they would go out and reach out, because that love between them extended. See how they love on them. That's what Jesus paid. So the first thing is unity. And that meal, was a thing about unity. And the second thing was, as I said, it was this unity, this association with what Jesus had done and who Jesus was. I want to be one with Jesus. So there's a unity with Jesus and there's a unity with one another. Yeah? Now, over time, particularly from the Restoration onwards, there were a number of changes, but almost immediately, um, once people started to associate the, um, the Lord's Supper um, with the, uh, the meal, which is fine, because that's what it says in the Gospels. Three of the Gospels talk about uh, it being a Passover meal, which is Mark, Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke probably taking the, um, the detail of it from the book of Mark, the same source. But John doesn't. John says a short while before the Passover, and doesn't actually mention Jesus um, telling people to remember him with the bread and the wine. More concerned about the betrayal of Judas. Just a different view. And as we know, or many of you know, the synoptic gospels means looking at something. Synoptic means to look at something in the same way. Matthew, Mark and Luke tend to look at things in the same way, whereas John, the Gospel of John, has a different way of looking at things. For instance, there are very few biographies that spend two-thirds of their length um, just talking about the last week of somebody's life. Um, but that's what John does. 
So John looks at it in a slightly different way to the others, from a different perspective, which gives us a fuller picture of what's going on. So it then began to, as the, as the Gospels became more uh, available, it became still meal together, but much more associated with the um, with the Last Supper in, 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 the, in, the, in the upper room and uh, being the, uh, the Passover meal. It also became, over the centuries, a set format, separate from, from a meal. It became a separate service, or a separate part of the service, a separate service. And of course, there was really only the, the Roman Catholic Church, as it, as it became. Um, and unfortunately, some heresies crept in, things about um, doing penance for, for your sins, which Jesus had died for all our sins, past, present and future. But the church is corrupt, and they were selling indulgences, which is, 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 is a good thing. First of all, they create the problem by saying you've got to do penance, and then allowing people to pay money in order to reduce the amount of penance or penitence that they have to do. So it's a good, you know, sort of like racket going on there. And you then got the Reformation, all right, where the Lord raised up various people who said, no, this isn't right, this is unrighteous, we need to go back and look and see what the Bible says. And sometimes they got things wrong, sometimes, but generally they restored things back. And as a result of that, there were some subtle changes. The, the idea, I say idea, but the, the, the teaching that Jesus died for all, our, for all of our sins, past, present and future, as a substitute for all our sins, became much more to the fore to emphasise <coughs> against the other stuff that had grown up. Hence, we tend now, as time has gone on, to think much more in those terms than associating ourselves with how the, with the death and resurrection of Jesus in a uh, power way over Satan and everything. Actually, it's a combination of the two. But they emphasise that. And that's also been something that's emphasised between, when you particularly get um, in the last century, a lot of uh, televangelists and preachers you know, talking about um, hellfire and all that, that sort of thing. So there's subtle changes that you see. So this is, this is what happened now. So we have full church service for believers only. It was, it was related back to the Passover meal by this time. There was a set format, very rigid actually, um, and who can do what and who can't do what, who can serve, you know, you've got to have a priest to do it, all this kind of thing. So a little bit Old Testament as well. Um, and then, as I say, the emphasis was on the sacrifice of Jesus in our place to atone for our sins. Those the subtle change there. What can we learn from Paul's letter? Not much more now. First of all, in verse 18, there were divisions in the church. Second, Jesus told us to do it. Alright? Jesus told us to celebrate to remember what he did by taking the bread and taking the wine. It's about proclaiming the Lord's death. Right? It's about proclaiming the Lord's death 
and all that goes with that is resurrection. What he did is victory. Taking the bread and wine with unresolved sin is sinning and risks bringing judgment on ourselves or on themselves. We need to check our hearts before we go to communion. We need to make sure that there's nothing there that's got hate in the heart or got unresolved sin. And that doesn't mean we don't take the communion. It means you put it right. You know, they're sitting there kind of that oh, I can't take communion. No, sort it out. Then take communion. Do it together. <clears throat> you know, it might be a horrible thing that somebody's done to you. It's got to start somewhere. You know, and the first step, that's fine. Don't take communion together. Go and just do it because the Lord said. But don't sit there thinking, nah, can't do it for us. Yeah. We need to check our hearts and we need to resolve the sin. And then we can take it with a good heart, we can enjoy loving what the Lord has done for us. So, the two main points about communion doesn't matter how it's done, provided it's done in a proper, decent way, and we can decide that between ourselves. We'll try different things, we're in a different place, it's a good opportunity to make some changes. We've discussed some things, we've discussed them further, we'll find a way. It won't be to everyone's liking today, it won't be next time we do it, or the time after that, but we'll get there, and it'll be generally what we want to do, how we want to do it. Maybe we'll have some meals together again. Because I used to love those. <laughs> they came a bit pricey when we bought all the stuff from Nolitable. <laughs> well, not Nolitable, but I think it got a little bit tired, you know? Um, Maybe we'll have pizza next time, therefore not come. So, what do I want to say? First of all, the main, main one is, well, yes, that's how we go about things, that's how we should go, but we can have the next slide. The main thing is that we're united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. However you do that, as a, as a substitute, yeah, as a sacrifice for us, as an overcomer, as a person who has conquered death and sin and Satan, all of those things. Mm. Yeah. And the second thing is this one, which is important. We're united with each other as a body of believers. With each other as well. That means again another. So, actually, I just realised it's all women. Um, but then it was all men who were the original ones. So, hey, yeah. They're the two things. United with Jesus. United with each other. That's key things to remember in the uh, in the Lord's Supper, communion. You could sit at hot church for me, breaking bread. Maybe the church was up. How do you look at it? It's different in different places. Sometimes it's a meal. Sometimes it's a thing on its own. Always in respect to the Lord, always in unity with one another. Mm. Amen? Mm. Thank you.